Max let go of Kate and took a deep breath. Someone tried to kill me with a fallen grain sack, but Charlie pushed me out of the way. Uh, we think it were the wolves. Max rambled on a mile a minute, his Scottish brogue growing thicker with every word. Kate, I just had to see that they didn't try to hurt you too. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max and Liz. This podcast is brought to you by Playful World Ministries. Max, Liz, and all the characters and adventures of the Epic Order of the Seven were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. On today's episode, we'll hear Chapter 51 from The Ark, The Reed, and The Fire Cloud. And for today's edition of Jenny's Corner, a special treat. It's a preview of her latest audiobook, and you sure don't want to miss that. Well, somebody's in a good mood, but wait, there's more! Because it's time to bring out our hosts. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, animals of all species, here are the hosts of your show. The stars of numerous outstanding novels and charter members of the exclusive organization known as the Epic Order of the Seven. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if they went down in history as the greatest dog and cat combination ever. All right, lad. Just say our names then. Fine. Here's Max and Liz. What is your problem, monsieur? Who says I have a problem? Uh, show of paws? Aye. Aye. Motion carried, monsieur. Now, why all this stuff and nonsense, then? Well, it's my job to introduce you, right? Aye. So I want to present you in the most positive light possible. Uh, positive we, but my goodness. <laughs> Your goodness had nothing to do with it, for... It's time to play everyone's favorite game show, What Is Your Answer? My answer is no. That's the name of the show. Ooh, how creative. Aye, and it's still me answer. Come on, Max. Just go along with it so we can get back to our story. Okay, make it quick, lad. All right, contestants, your first question. Of all the creatures in the sea, which is the fastest swimmer? Uh, what is sailfish? Ah, uh, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong answer. It is two of the fastest. My friend Craddock is a whale, and he says those boys can go over 60 miles. Ah, uh, that wasn't the question. You jumped ahead. Ah, oh, come on. Uh, Liz, for the steal, the question is, of all the creatures in the sea, which is likely to eat the most? Liz? Well, there are a number of factors to consider. Are we talking volume, mass, or are we determining this by uh, weight? Which, of course, can vary uh, if we're taking dry measurement or we're factoring in the buoyancy of said food when found in its natural habitat. Uh, which then brings up the question, are we talking about the most food overall or in proportion to the size of the creature that we... I'm sorry, Liz. Your time is up. So, no points for either of you. Oh, come on. The answer is blue whale. <gasps> uh, next question. You're stranded on a desert island, and you can only bring... Ah, that's easy. Me bunny last Kate. That's what I would bring. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Uh, no, it isn't, lad. Once again, that wasn't the question, Max. You, uh, you jumped to the wrong conclusion. Whatever. Uh, watch and learn, oh impatient one. Fine. All right, the whole question reads... You're stranded on a desert island, and you can only bring one tool. According to a survey, what should that tool be? Liz? Well, it would be virtually impossible to properly plan for such an unfortunate situation. Thus, there are various options to consider. 
uh, is there a source of drinking water or food, or there may be climatological considerations. Is it indeed a desert island or just a deserted island, two different things, which could be in a more severe climate and thus calling for the need of shelter and the capability of... Again, Liz, your time is up. No points. The most popular answer was a knife. I don't want to play anymore. Oui, uh, this is quite boring, mon ami. Why'd you bring this game up anyway? Uh, well, just making an observation that sometimes we have the tendency to jump to conclusions without having all the facts. Hmm, I wonder to whom he could be referring. And sometimes we can overthink things and never really come to a conclusion at all. Um... <laughs> What's the matter, Liz? Cat got your tongue then? <laughs> so, let's now see... Which one of these becomes a major factor in today's chapter? Chapter 51 Explanations and Diversions Kate! Kate! Where are you? Max called out as he reached their stall. No one was home. Max's heart dropped, and then a deep, seething anger welled up inside him. He bolted from the stall and started heading for the wolves when he saw Kate, Liz, and Al coming down the corridor, laughing and talking about the morning. Kate looked up to see Max and ran toward him. There you are, me love. We've been looking for you. Kate rambled on before stopping to look at Max, who stared at her with silent gratitude. What is it, Max? Why are you staring at me like that then? Max dropped his reed and gave Kate a huge embrace. I'm so glad to see you, Liz. I thought something had happened to you. Kate embraced Max and looked with confusion to Liz, who walked up beside them. Mon ami, what has you so upset? Liz asked. Max let go of Kate and took a deep breath. Kate was okay. He could focus on the urgent matter at hand. Someone tried to kill me with a fallen grain sack, but Charlie pushed me out of the way. Uh, we think it were the wolves. Max rambled on a mile a minute, his Scottish brogue growing thicker with every word. Kate, I just had to see that they didn't try to hurt you too. Kate squeezed Max in alarm and relief. Someone tried to kill you? No, I can't believe it. I'm so glad Charlie were there. Oh, Max, are you okay then? Liz held up her paw. Calm down, please. One thing at a time. Max, I'm glad you are okay. Uh, everyone, let's go back to the stall. There is a logical explanation for these things. Let's sit and calmly look for it, no? Liz led the way, and Max picked up his reed, as he, Kate, and Al followed Liz back to their stall. You mean them beasties were out to kill you? Al said, awash in fresh fear. Aye, aye, it's got to be them, Max said. There were lots of animals around who saw everything happen. Let's not jump to conclusions, said Liz. Did any of the animals actually see the wolves push the sack? Max sat there, a frown on his face. Well, no. Always look for the logical explanation. It appears that the sacks were placed too close to the ledge. It would not take much for one to just slip over the side, no? So we cannot just assume the wolves were out to get you, mon ami. Liz said, trying to bring some sense into things. I know how you and the wolves feel about one another. 
but do not let your emotions get to your head. Max frowned. He indeed did not like the wolves, nor they him. It was easy to place blame given the situation. Charlie made more emotional sense, but Liz made more intellectual sense. Max was confused. Aye, but the animals there gathered around saw me read do something amazing when it lifted the green sack. I were pushing and pushing but couldn't get the sack off Charlie's tail. But they took me reed and put it under the sack and it lifted it as light as the morning mist. Liz sat there silently, her tail twitching. Max's reed defied explanation. It held some power that caused illogical things, impossible things, to happen. This, of course, didn't sit well with Liz. Well, I am sure that this event has rattled the animals who witnessed it. I will need to observe the uh, creatures to see if tension about the wolves has spread, and if so, a diversion will be necessary. A diversion? Kate asked. Oui, another activity to get their minds off the wolves, Liz said as she walked out of the stall. Kate and Al looked at one another and then followed Liz. They wanted to see what activity she was thinking about this time. Max had had enough for the morning. He decided to get some rest and stay put. Liz and Kate sat on the tropical side of the beach near the waterfall. Liz closely observed the animals gathered there. She watched their behavior and listened to their conversations. She did this frequently, always fascinated to observe what made creatures tick. Liz would even try to anticipate how they would react to certain situations or conversations. There was some buzz about the events of the morning. Everyone had, of course, enjoyed the flamingo aerobics. But the news had spread about Max the hero and his near miss with the falling grain sack. Speculation ran rampant. Was it the wolves? Or were these humans not all that they seemed? Could there be one among them who would try to harm them as the mean villagers had done? Was there a human stowaway? Was it an accident? Liz felt a restlessness stirring among the animals. Liz's train of thought was interrupted when she heard Al snoring loudly. She shook her head at Kate. Mon ami, this cat is impossible to wake. <laughs> he sleeps through everything. Kate looked at Liz and giggled. <laughs> we should have a wee bit of fun with him. As if on cue, the iguanas that were nestled in a vine on the other side of Al picked two trumpet flowers and hopped down from the vine. They each took a flower and carefully slid it into each of Al's nostrils. Al continued to sleep, mouth wide open, trumpet flowers hanging out of his nose, which now gave a new trumpeting sound to his snore. The animals gathered around started howling with laughter. Liz and Kate had to shout above the snores and the ruckus. This is exactly my point, Kate. The animals are restless and this diversion with Al seems to help. We must find something to keep occupying their minds, Liz said as she looked around at the pairs of animals gathered there. What about a dance? What about a talent show? Kate replied. Kate and Liz paused only a second as they read each other's minds. What about both? They shouted. 
lizard lads were so funny. <laughs> they had Alb blown his own horn then. <laughs> True, but uh, back to our earlier conversation, I have to say, Max. Uh, no, you don't, lass. You don't have to say it. I know. I were jumping to conclusions. I were letting me mind get away from me. Boy, been there. <laughs> no doubt. Hey. Maybe I were jumping to conclusions then, but I weren't alone. The whole place were looking over their shoulders. Yeah, and some didn't even have shoulders. <laughs> uh, monsieur, don't you actually have some important news to share? Oh, yeah. Ah. Oh, first, just for reference, this podcast first aired in December of 2020, in case you happen to be listening to this much later. But we do have a big announcement to make. There is now a second of Jenny L. Cody's amazing epic order of the seven books that has become an audiobook. Huzzah! Huzzah! Yes, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key is now available through Amazon's audiobook site, audible.com. Now joining us for a special Jenny's Corner, the person behind the pen, behind the voice, behind The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, Miss Jenny Cody. Well, I have a question for you, Max and Liz. Okay. Fire away, madame. Tell me, which came first, the voice or the pen? Ooh, that is tough. Mm. That's a bit of a tricky one, then. That is a tricky question, because Patrick Henry was known as the voice of the revolution, and he got that name 13 years before we even declared independence. And he was the first one to boldly speak out against tyranny way before anyone else was courageous enough to do so. And sometimes we have to be the one to maybe take a stand that's uncomfortable or sometimes even dangerous or scary because liberty is at stake. And that's one of the things that so attracted me to writing Patrick Henry's story because he's such a fantastic founding father, a godly man who stood up for liberty and was willing to fight and die for it especially in his give me liberty or give me death speech. And so it was Patrick Henry's resolves against the dreaded Stamp Act in 1765 where he became the voice of the revolution, according to Thomas Jefferson, because when those resolves hit the northern papers, that's when Sam Adams and the Sons of Liberty formed, and they said, wow, look how bold the Virginians are. We need to be that bold. And so Patrick Henry was accredited with setting the ball of the revolution rolling. Now, Patrick Henry so was called the voice of the revolution. But there was this trilogy of revolutionary heroes, as I like to call them. The second was George Washington, who became the sword of the revolution because he was the one who led us militarily as our commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. But he was chosen in June of 1775, over a year before we even declared independence. So that means the colonists were already fighting a war then, right? We had been fighting this war one year, and longer actually, before we even got the pen of the revolution rolling. And of course, the third one being Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence that was voted upon and passed, of course, in July 1776. So, in this case, the voice came long before the pen of the revolution. And so it is the voice that you start with on your story about the revolution. So, Miss Jenny, what can we expect to learn about this amazing patriot, Monsieur Patrick Henry? Eh? How he grew as a kid to find his voice, his calling to become that voice. 
And you can read that in book one, The Voice of the Revolution and the Key, or now you can actually hear it come to life from the voice of the revolution, which would be Denny Brownlee, who is voicing what I penned about the revolution. So I guess that would make me the pen of the revolution also. Well, you got the pen and the voice. Ugh, that's an even trickier one than Miss Ginny. Well, you figure it out. <laughs> For now, read and listen to the incredible talent of the voice of the revolution for 2020, Denny Brownlee. And we shall start with a certain Scottish doggy that you may recognize. Well, I'll be a Scottie's uncle. They're dumping the tea into the harbor, and there'll be no British soldiers around to stop them. Max couldn't see Clary anywhere, so he just sat there, watching the harbor fill with tea. If the colonies wanted a revolution, they sure have brewed up one now. Benjamin frowned. Perhaps this won't work after all. He gazed up at the storm clouds and thought back to God's riddling questions for Job. God in heaven, if it pleases you and in your goodness to mankind, please make lightning appear and cause it to strike my kite as you direct. Suddenly, the kite lurched against Benjamin's hand. He looked down and saw that some of the individual strands of twine holding the soaring kite stood on end. He then moved his free hand close to the key and felt a mild shock against his knuckle. He quickly pulled back his hand and shook it. It's working! It's working! Nigel cheered. He ran to the edge of the roof and peered over the side as the rain now began to drench the twine. He could see sparks starting to stream from the key to Franklin's hand. I knew it! I knew lightning had to be electricity! Benjamin exclaimed excitedly. He looked up at the heavens. Thank you for helping me to solve your riddle. I assume you know the procedure for securing a law license in the colony of Virginia. Only two signatures are required for this license to be valid. I understand, sir, Patrick replied. Tell me, where have you studied in preparation for this examination? Did you attend law school in London? With asked. I did not go to law school. Might you have attended college up north at Harvard, perhaps? No, sir, no college, Patrick answered. Uh, where have you apprenticed, then? Uh, nowhere, formally, but I've spent a great deal of time conversing with attorneys who practice at Hanover Courthouse. So you have no formal schooling, and you haven't apprenticed with a law practice? Is this some kind of April Fool's joke? Nigel planted his face in his palm and shook his head. Seeing one of the same soldiers they had fought with days ago, Crispus Attucks stepped up and grabbed his bayonet, jerking it back and forth. Have you come back to finish what you started, Lobsterbeck? Suddenly, Max looked up to see the same dirty man from the street where Christopher had been shot. The man was pushing his way to the front of the crowd. He lifted his arm and threw a club that struck Private Montgomery in the head, knocking him to the snowy street, all the while screaming, Fire! Fire, you bloody backs! You lobsters! I dare you to fire! Montgomery dropped his musket and scrambled in the snow to quickly retrieve it. 
Max ran over to Captain Preston and Richard Palms as chaotic shouting broke out all around them. Fire! You dare not fire! Other angry voices echoed from the crowd. Kill them! Montgomery got to his feet, cocked his weapon, which was loaded with two musket balls, and angrily shouted, Fire! He fired into the crowd, although no command had been given. Both musket balls hit Crispus Attucks in the chest. Patrick's voice began to rise in its urgency, causing the assembly to hang on every word. The distinctions between Virginians, Pennsylvanians, New Yorkers, and New Englanders are no more. He paused and raised a fist of unity and victory in the air and exclaimed loudly and proudly, I am not a Virginian, but an American. He then hunched his shoulders forward and allowed his gaze to drift to the floor. He willed the assembly to envision him as the embodiment of the humiliated, oppressed colony of Virginia under the iron heel of the British monarch. I know not what course others may take, he groaned through clenched teeth, slowly raising his gaze. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Oh, those stirring words of the one and only Patrick Henry. We. Oui. It gets to me every time. Yeah, me too. Uh, once again, if you're enjoying this podcast and the audio version of The Ark, The Read, and The Fire Cloud, you're going to love the audiobook version of The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, as our epic order of animals will be protecting and influencing the likes of, you ready? George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, the Marquis de Lafayette, and of course, the voice of the revolution himself, Patrick Henry. That's The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key by Jenny L. Cody, now available in audiobook form. Go to audible.com to get yours. And now, uh, Monsieur Denis, uh, would you, s'il vous plaît, uh, take it home, as they say? Okay, then. I'll take it home. Actually, I'll just finish the episode. That's what I meant. Well, as you heard a little bit earlier, Liz and Kate sort of made themselves the unofficial social directors for the Noah's Ark cruise line, as it were. Well, next time, we'll be entertained by the residents of the Ark, and you'll never guess who ends up being the star attraction. No, no, you'll, you'll never... No, no, don't even try. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, and the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud was written by Jenny L. Cody. To purchase your copy of the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud on audiobook, log on to audible.com. And for all the amazing books by Jenny L. Cody, the entire collection of the Epic Order of the Seven, log on to Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. That's epicorderofthe7.com. See you next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thanks for joining us. Huzzah! Huzzah!